Good morning. How y'all doing today? Thankful for your pastor for uh, inviting me to share with you all this morning. Uh, he couldn't be here, so he invited me a couple days ago, and it's a blessing and a pleasure for me to be here. I see the front rows are pretty much empty, which is probably a good thing because I tend to spray while I talk, so <laughs> the spray zone is clear, Terry. You've got to watch out there. You'll, you'll be all right. You guys doing all right today? All right. Uh, did they pass out Bibles to y'all already? Okay, good. So uh, we are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4 today. All right, I got something for you. You ready? Okay, this, is, this one is completely for free. I don't think there's any spiritual application to this uh, little story unless you think there is. Then come and share it with me and I'll remember the next time I share it. Uh, but a middle-aged single man is out fishing. He's on the shore and, and a frog cries out to him and says, if you give me a kiss, I'll turn into a beautiful princess and, and I'll marry you. So the single middle-aged man, he picks up the frog and he puts it in his pocket and the frog keeps saying to him, if you kiss me, I'll turn into a beautiful princess and I'll marry you. And, and the frog keeps saying this over and over and over again and the, and the man doesn't do anything about it. Finally, the frog cries out to him. He says, why won't you kiss me? And the single middle-aged man says to the frog, well, you know, it this point in my life, I think I'd rather have a talking frog. <laughs> so you could take that or leave that, uh, find some spiritual application. Uh, I don't know, whatever. We are in First Peter chapter 4, and I'm, I'm only going to cover a few verses here this morning, and um, I think God's going to have something for us today. But let me read it, and we will pray. The Bible says in verse 7 of First uh, Peter 4, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Someone said amen when I said the end of all things is near. Hey, you know it's true. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. We can all say amen to that. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and pray and see what he has for us this morning. Father, we love you, God, and we are thankful that you've given us the blessed opportunity to gather together corporately brothers and sisters in Christ, to sing songs and to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, this is a privilege that we do not take lightly. This is a privilege and an honor that we have to live in the United States of America, to be able to openly praise and worship and honor our King of kings. So Lord Jesus, as we've opened your word this morning, as we've read from your word, now we ask God that you would give us a nugget of truth to be able to leave here with today, that we may learn how to love one another, that we may do so fervently, God, because we know that the end is near and that we all need to be watchful. We all need to be ready. We all need to be on our guard because the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. So, Father, help us. Help us to be strong in you and in the power of your might and help us, God, to walk in the Spirit so that we not fulfill the lusts of our flesh. 
We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed um, that as we get a little bit older, I've noticed this myself, that as I've gotten a little bit older, I tend to, uh, to prepare myself and to get things a little bit more in order in my life personally. Like I, I try to order myself professionally. I try to order myself in my personal life. I, I, I just tend to do that. The older we get, right, the older we get, we try to make sure that things are, are in a better place than they were maybe in our younger years. And maybe for you, um, that might mean restoring broken relationships or, or making sure that your assets are in order, maybe that you have a, a will or, or a living trust or, or something like that um, so that you know, after you're gone, your family doesn't have to figure it all out on their own. And for some, it may be just making sure that you're getting right with the Lord, getting serious with the Lord. And as we've uh, just read this, uh, these few verses in 1 Peter chapter 4, you know, Peter is encouraging us. He's saying that the end is at hand. It says in verse 7 again, uh, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious, watchful in your prayers. So Paul, or I'm going to do that quite often probably this morning. Um, I'm usually saying Paul, but today it's Peter. So Peter is encouraging us. Peter is exhorting us to get serious about our walk with the Lord, that we need to be on guard He's encouraging us to be watchful and to be men and women of prayer. Why is he saying that? He's saying that because the end is close, right? The end is at hand. Now, I don't know personally exactly what Peter was saying here. He could have been speaking personally about his own life. He could have been older at this time. In fact, he was much older in life. And he could have been saying, listen, my life is coming to its conclusion. My life is coming to an end. So I know that I need to be ready. I know that I need to be more watchful. I know that I need to be more prepared. Now, Peter could have meant that, but I'm not sure exactly that's what he meant. I think all of us kind of have the idea of what Peter meant, that the end is at hand. And and we all watch the news. We all see all of the different things that are taking place around our country and around our world. And I'm pretty sure most of us would agree that we are in the end times. W- would you guys all agree with me that we're more than likely in the end times? Well, the crazy thing is this was written almost 2,000 years ago. And Peter was also assuming that the end was near. Peter was also assuming that, we, that he and his disciples and, and, their, and at that time that they were in the end times. My wife and I were watching a, a movie about World War II uh, just a couple of nights ago. And um, I, I'm watching this devastation that took place to the Jewish people from Nazi Germany. And I imagine that the Christians at that time also must have been thinking that that the, the return of Jesus Christ was imminent at that time, and that was 40, 50 years ago. In fact, I think it's, it's, it's probably true that the way God um, set things up was that every single generation from the time Jesus was, was crucified and rose again and, and arose up to the right hand of God the Father, that every single generation at that time, from that time on, believed that the return of Jesus Christ is imminent. So it's important, if it's true... Um, that the return of Christ is imminent, it, it's important that we be serious. It's important that we be on guard. It's, it's important that we're looking um, at, 
our prayer life, and we're not just praying over our meals um, before we eat, but that we're taking things serious about the things that are taking place in our world. We should be praying for our president. We should be praying for our world leaders. We should be praying for this country. We need to be praying for our families. I mean, there's a lot of things that we as Christians ought to be taking seriously in our prayer life. Now, all of those things are important. Wouldn't you guys agree with that? All of those things are important. But then Peter goes on to say this, and and this is kind of where we're going to camp out here this morning. But he says this in verse 8, and above all things... So all of those other things are really, really important. Jesus Christ is coming back. We need to be on guard. We need to be prepared. We need to be watchful. But above all things, so when when someone says to you, listen, all of these things I'm laying out to you are important, but when he says, but above all things, that means that this is a very important uh, mention that what Peter is about to say. How many times have I said Paul? None? All right, I'm doing good. All right, how many have I sprayed on anyone yet? All right, maybe, maybe Pastor Tim will have me back. That's good. But he says this. He says, and above all things, check this out, brothers, sisters, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. So Peter, you know, the New Testament um, and the Old Testament go so well together, right? So Peter is saying that above all things, have fervent love for one another. And then what does he do? He goes and quotes Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, that says, because love covers a multitude of sin. Now, as I look around the room here, and I hear those wonderful voices in the background and the cricket, I realize that that God has created a tapestry of people. He hasn't formed little robot brothers and sisters in Christ, but he's created diversity within the body of Christ. There are different age groups in this room. There are different cultures in this room. There are different backgrounds in this room. My wife and I grew up, um, she grew up in South America. I grew up out here in Las Vegas. Um, There are different people that are, are here in the body of Christ. And sometimes relationships even in the body of Christ, could be challenging. Would you guys agree with that? I mean, we're not just all a bunch of cookie-cutter Christians. We're different. We have different thoughts. We have different ideas. We have different ways of doing things. We are the church. We are the people of God. We love Jesus, and Jesus has called us to serve him side by side. Jesus has called us to commune with him and to commune with one another and to fulfill the great commission to go into all the world, to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. But, but there's differences. We do things differently. We don't always get along with one another. We don't always agree. We don't always see things eye to eye. In fact, sometimes we rub each other the wrong way. Would you guys agree with that? Sometimes I might be rubbing you the wrong way right now. You might be saying, man, I really wish Pastor Tim was here today. But the truth is we sometimes rub each other the wrong way. In fact, earlier in this, um, in this epistle, in fact, I want to just encourage you guys when you go home sometime today, read 1 Peter. It's an amazing epistle. It's only five chapters long, and you'll be really blessed by it. But earlier in this epistle, in, in chapter 2, Peter is 
encouraging his readers to, to lay aside all malice, to lay aside all deceit, to get rid of all hypocrisy, to get rid of envy, and that we are to come to Jesus as living stones. Because what Jesus is doing us, you and I, we are living epistles. We are living stones. And what God is doing in all of our lives is he is building up a spiritual house. He is creating us to be a spiritual house because we are living stones. So, so what does that mean in, in ancient times, in Bible times? When a man um, built his house, he didn't run up to Home Depot. What he did was he'd go to a stone quarry and he'd take all of these stones back to the property where he was going to build this house. He would lay the foundation, and then he would take these big stones, and he would begin to build the walls of the house. Now, when you're, when you're taking different types of stones, they don't always fit well together. And, 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 you're put, and he's putting them together as best as he possibly can. And then maybe when he's getting to the top, he's realizing there's a couple of stones that are left. And man, these two stones just don't fit well together. So what will he do? He'll begin to kind of rub them together. He'll begin to, to mold them and, and to rub them together. So, it, so they're kind of like sandpaper against each other. So eventually they'll fit just right to make a nice wall to protect his home and to pr- protect his family. Now, I want us to think about this for a second. Since we as Christians are living stones... Listen, sometimes we rub each other the wrong way. Sometimes God places two different people with different thought patterns, with different ways of doing things that love the Lord, but just do things in a different way. He puts those two people together, kind of like heavenly sandpaper, right? He, he's, he's shaping us to fit together just right. He's, he's, he may use somebody who's rubbing you the wrong way to smooth out the rough edges in my life. He may be using me who I am rubbing somebody the wrong way to smooth out the rough, ed- the rough edges in their life. And when we allow God to do that in our lives, what does he do? He, he builds this house that, that works together, that serves together, that loves together just how God had intended us to be. There's an illustration. A, a wise physician once said, I've been practicing medicine for 30 years and I've prescribed many things, but in the long run I have learned that, the most, that most of, for most of the ills of the human creature or person, the best medicine is patient understanding of another's problems. Patient understanding of another's problems. And when somebody asks this very wise physician, what if that doesn't work? What if someone doesn't respond to patient understanding? And by that, the doctor replied, then I double the dose. I double the dose of patient understanding. And that's what Peter is telling us here. He's telling us that we need to have a fervent love for one another, that we need to have a double dose of love towards each other, that we need to have a patient understanding of one another and our feelings. Now, I know that you guys are a a very well-versed church. You have an amazing Bible teacher as a pastor. And and there's a a portion of scripture I'm going to ask you to turn to real quickly, um, just because I just love to, 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 
to read the Word of God together. It's a, it's a passage of Scripture that you guys, I'm sure, are very familiar with. It's in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What is that, that portion of Scripture known to, known as? Anyone know? The love chapter. That's right. The love chapter. I just like how that sounds. So I'm, I'm just going to read this just because I, I, I know that you guys are familiar with it, but it's just good to read. But then we're going we're gonna to just pick out two very important pieces of these verses. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with, with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a, clang, or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And then in verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And verse 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8, love never fails. And, and just for an exercise, you know, my wife and I sometimes do some couples counseling and, and just for an exercise, maybe later you, could, you can look these verses over, and, um, and, and you've probably done this, maybe you have. It, it's really a good way to assess yourself, just to really check your own heart and to see where you stand in, in the area of loving others unconditionally. Just kind of put your name in there, okay? So as you're reading through these verses and you're looking at, at, um, at, uh, at love suffers long and is kind and does not parade itself, just, just put your own in the name there. Mike does not envy. Mike does not parade himself. Mike does not behave rudely, rudely. This is a really good exercise just to assess where you are, um, maybe on a weekly, maybe on a monthly basis, something like that. But then you can add Jesus's name to it, and you can see that Jesus never fails because love never fails. And we know that Jesus never fails. But we're, we're, we want to look at just these two words really quick in verse four. It says, love suffers long and is kind. So love is long suffering. Now, I find it interesting that, that the kind of love that Paul, in this instance, because now he wrote Corinthians, but that Paul is talking about, it's not blind love, okay? It's not the kind of love that doesn't notice when he's been offended, okay? This kind of love just doesn't make a big deal out of it when, when he's offended. It says that love is long-suffering. Listen, patient love is an action, it's something that I have to choose to do on a daily basis. I need to choose love. I need to choose to be patient with my wife. I need to, be, I need to choose to be patient with my kids. I need to choose to be patient with that coworker who's rubbing me the wrong way. Now, my wife and I have been married for oh, just over 25 years now, and, and I, I love my wife more than I, than I did when we first met and we first fell in love with each other. It's different, right? It's a different kind of love. We would do some premarital counseling 
um, with a lot of different couples. And it's so sweet when you get a young couple that want to get married and they want to do things the right way. So they, they want to get some counseling so that they know how to be a good godly husband. They know how to be a good godly wife. And it's so cute. You know, they'll, they'll sit in front of us, and, and they're just so googie-eyed towards each other, right? And, and there may be just a little thing here and there that he does, or there may just be a little thing here and there that she does that, that just kind of annoys them. But, you know, they love each other so much. They're so googie-eyed for each other that they're able to overlook those things. They're able to look past those things, and then they get married. And even in the first maybe couple weeks, maybe even couple months of their marriage, you know, the wife, she sets up the laundry basket right there at the edge of the closet. And, and, uh, and the husband comes home and he takes off his, his uh, dirty socks and his dirty underwear and he lies them down right next to the laundry basket. And she just thinks it's so cute, you know. She just, oh, he's, I love him. I love him. And she just picks him up and throws him in the laundry. It's no big deal first couple weeks of marriage. He's laughing, he knows. Because <laughs> then a couple months go by, right? And now she's looking at these dirty socks on the floor right next to the stinking laundry basket. And she's thinking to herself, why doesn't this guy just put the socks in the laundry? Listen, love is long-suffering. It's something that we have to choose to do. My wife for 25 years has chosen to love me and to be patient with me, and I've done the same thing for her. And, and we choose to overlook certain idiosyncrasies. We choose to overlook certain things that bother us. Why? Because we have a fervent love towards one another. This kind of love also is kind. How often in your Christian walk does somebody just irk you to the point that he just brings you to the flesh and that you're in danger of doing or maybe even saying something that you know is unkind and that you know is God, his Holy Spirit, is going to convict you of? I don't know. Maybe it happened here this morning. Maybe as you're coming into church and, and you know where you like to park, Right? You know the area around or out there where you like to park, and you pull into the parking lot, and, and you, from a distance, you see the spot. There's the spot, and you start driving over to that spot, and then right before you get there, another car pulls right in and takes that parking spot that you were about to park in. And now all of a sudden, you're in the flesh, and you're wanting to tell that person, man, you are number one. You're just not using that finger. She got it. Sorry, that was kind of coarse. I apologize for that. But you guys know what I'm saying. And then the person gets out of the car and you go, oh, hi, Pastor Tim. <laughs> Listen, love is being patient even when the other person doesn't always get it as quickly as you do. And it's kind even when somebody pulls something over on you or does something against you. And, you know, there, there are, are even times when a mature believer who you know their character, you know the kind of person that they are, you know characteristically, man, this person walks in the Spirit, that this person exhibits the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and, and peace and patience. But, man, this person, for whatever reason, this, this mature believer 
um, one day doesn't say hi to you. You say hi to that mature believer, and that mature believer does not say hi back to you. And now all of a sudden, man, you are upset with that person. You can't believe that person. Listen, we have to be kind. We have to have patient understanding towards those people. And we have to chalk it up to the fact that maybe that person's just having a bad day. And then what do we need to do? We need to go back to verse uh, 7 in uh, 1 Peter that says that we need to be faithful and we need to be watchful in our prayers. We need to pray for that person because maybe that person is just having a challenging and a bad day. You know, um, bless you, years ago um, at, at our church, we were, we were having Christmas services. We were going to have Christmas Eve services. So our, our, our staff and um, some of the volunteers were going around into the local neighborhood and we were passing out Christmas invitations so that our neighbors would know about our services. So I'm knocking on doors, and I knock on this door, and this lady comes to the door, she opens the door, and I hand her one of our invitations, and I explain to her that we're the church not too far from here, and we'd love for you to attend our Christmas Eve services. And it kind of shocked me a little bit what she said. She said, I used to attend your church, and I really loved your church, and I really loved your senior pastor. I loved your senior pastor, and I'd go to your church all the time. But you know, I went through a really difficult time in my life when I had cancer, and I came to your church, and I asked one of your pastors to pray for me. And that pastor, instead of taking the time to pray for me, just kind of brushed me along and pushed me aside to somebody else and just said, here, they'll, they'll pray for you over there. And she said, you know what? From that day forward, even though I loved that church and even though I loved our senior pastor, I, I decided I'm not coming back to your church. And I was like, I am so, so sorry that that happened to you. I am so, so sorry that that happened to you. And I said, are, are you married? And she said, yeah, I'm married. I said, how long have you been married? And she says, oh, I don't know, um, over, over 30 years. And I was like, really? Wow, that's great. I said, so in the 30 years that you've been married, has your husband ever said or done something that offended you? Oh, yeah. My husband said many things and done many things that has offended me. And I was like, and you guys are still together, huh? And she got it. And you know what? She came to Christmas Eve service. And her husband came back with her the week later. And you know what? Years later, her and her husband are still attending our church because they had fervent love for one another. And, and you guys know this. You guys know how easy it is for us to see the flaws in other people and not see the flaws in our own lives. It's so easy for us to look at the speck in somebody else's eye and not see the log in our own eye. In fact, you might be sitting here right now thinking, man, you're thinking of two or three people right now that probably need to be here listening to this message. <laughs> but we need to be considerate. What is going on in my own heart? What is God speaking to me right now? Go back to 1 Peter chapter 4. Again, it says in verse 8, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now that word fervent, it, 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 mean, it means to strain 
to love somebody. It means to really stretch to love somebody. It's kind of a picture of a runner trying to cross the finish line. And, and, he, and he's running neck and neck with a, with a couple of other runners. And he's trying to get across that, 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 that finish line before the other runners do. And he's stretching and he's straining. And every fiber, every muscle, every ounce of energy that runner has, he's using to stretch across that finish line to be the first one to get across the finish line. Now, can you guys imagine what the church would look like if every single one of us loved each other that way, fervently stretching, fervently uh, attempting to love each other the way that Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is suggesting that we love one another. And Peter, again, he says, above all things. That means that this is something, if there's anything in the church that should be neglected, if there's anything at all that's being neglected in the church, this is one thing that should not be neglected, to love one another, to strain to love one another. And, and the truth is, guys, you guys know this. I know this. I know this from, from being part of a church for many, many years, that it's not always easy to do. It's not always easy. You know what? I'm going to even suggest this. It's impossible to do it. It is impossible for me to love you guys the way that Peter is suggesting that I love you guys. It's impossible for me to do it. It's impossible for you to love me like that. It's impossible for you to love each other like that. It's impossible for husbands and wives to love each other like that as well in the flesh. But if we have the power of God's Holy Spirit living in us, if we have the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit, if we're walking in the Spirit so that we not fulfill the lust of our flesh, then we can know that we can, we can do it, that we can love fervently the way God has called us to love fervently. And, and I know that we have Romans 3.23 to fall back on. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, I know that verse. I live that verse every single day. I know every day I fall short of the Lord. And then I know 1 John 1, 9, that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me of my sins. Listen, and a person can try as hard as he possibly can, but no matter what, that person's still going to miss the mark. That person's still going to miss the mark. And what does missing the mark mean? It's sin. It means that we are in sin. And I'm so personally thankful that even though my, I sin every single day, I could bring my sins before the Lord Jesus Christ, and every single day, his perfect love never changes towards me, and that his perfect love covers a multitude of my sins. And just as Jesus' love is able to cover my sins, his desire for us is to be able to forgive one another and to cover their sins, to stretch, to have fervent love, and that can only happen if we truly have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. Remember what it was like for Jesus. Remember as he's, as he's being beaten, as his hair is being pulled out of his face, as he's being spit on, as his hands and feet are being nailed to the cross and people are walking by and they're shooting their lips at him and they're insulting him and they're making fun of him. And what did Jesus say? One of the sayings, of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And God forgave them. How do we handle it? 
How do we handle it when somebody sins against us? Are we quick to forgive them? Or are we quick to fight back? Are we quick to demand our rights, to assert ourselves? Listen, guys, the truth of the matter is this. We can assert our rights and we can demand our rights, but the only thing that we really deserve is hell. That's the only thing that we deserve. But by God's grace and by God's mercy, which is new every single morning, we can walk in perfect love and in perfect forgiveness because we have received the grace by being washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and then we have the ability to be able to give grace towards others and to forgive others who are in the body of Christ, who have sinned against us, who have hurt us, who have maybe hurt our reputations. Now, how do we handle that? How do you handle that when when somebody hurts you, when somebody ruins your reputation? How do we love somebody like that? I I have another story. There was a couple in our church, and and this is is crazy, okay? This is one of those it's impossible stories, okay? There's this couple in our church. My wife and I are counseling them, and they were dealing with adultery. The wife had committed adultery. And not only had she cheated on her husband, but she was impregnated by the man that she cheated with. And her husband didn't know. And after the baby was born, after he had been raising this little girl as his own child, only then did he find out that his wife had not only committed adultery, but that the little girl that he had been calling his own daughter was not his own flesh and blood daughter. And this man was able to forgive his wife for that sin, for that transgression. But then in the counseling session, check this out. This is crazy, okay? So in the counseling session, she says that she wants to include the man that she had an affair with in her daughter's life. That she wanted to give him an opportunity to know um, their daughter and to for her to know that this is really your real dad. And you know what I said to them? I said, you guys are crazy. You guys are nuts. You need to cut that guy out of your life. That guy has no place in your life. He has no rights to your daughter. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Now, that was my counsel. But that wasn't the Lord's counsel. Because you know what the Lord did? We were having a men's conference um, in California. And God put it on this guy's heart to invite that man who had cheated with his wife to the men's conference. And not only did he invite that man, the the guy came, and then he invited him to church the next week. And then he invited him back to church again the next week. And then you know what happened? When the pastor was giving the invitation to receive Jesus Christ as, as their personal Lord and Savior, that man went forward and accepted the invitation. Listen, if he had listened to me, if he had accepted my counsel, that man would not have gotten saved. But something that was impossible, that would be impossible for me, that may be impossible for you to do, with Christ all things are possible. And this man was able to not only forgive this man, but he was able to include him in the life of his daughter. And and because of that, that man received the, the love of Jesus Christ, agape love, unconditional love. 
And this is something that we can't do in our own strength. It's not something that we can do in our own power. It's not something that's natural to us. It's something that can only be done by the power of God's Holy Spirit. One last illustration. You guys ready? Okay, here we go. No, second to last. Maybe third to last. Pastor Tim said I had until 2 o'clock, so you guys are okay with that? All right. All right, so a guy's visiting a zoo, and he sees a lion and a monkey in the same cage together. And the guy says to the zookeeper, zookeeper, that's amazing. How can you have a lion and a monkey in the same cage together? How, how do they get along? And the zookeeper says to him, well, you know, usually they get, they get along pretty good, but occasionally they have a, a, a disagreement, and then we have to get a new monkey. Some of you are going to get that later. <laughs> Listen, the, this is kind of hard for Christians because the truth is sometimes our natural tendency is to be lions towards others when we don't get along with people. But the Spirit of God gives us the ability to love no matter what because the Bible tells us that the enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Not us. We as Christians ought not to be roaring lions devouring one another. Would you guys agree with that? Amen? All right, good. Listen, there's a, uh, an example in Genesis of a type of Christ. You guys know this example. Um, you know this man by the name of Joseph. And Joseph, you guys know the story. I'm, I'm going to try to give you the Reader's Digest version really quick. Joseph was one of 11 brothers. Eventually, Jacob had 12 sons. And Jacob loved Joseph more than all of the others. And one day, Jacob sends Joseph out to go check on his brothers. And, and these guys hate Joseph so much so to the point that they had devised a plan to kill him. So they, they take Joseph, they throw him in a, in a, in a cistern, they, they throw him in a well. They're trying to figure it out. They decide, listen, we're not going to have his blood on our hands. Let's just sell him. Some Ishmaelite, Ishmaelite traders were coming their way. They, they sell Joseph to the Ishmaelite traders who in turn bring Joseph to Egypt. He's sold uh, to Potiphar. He is living and serving as a slave in Potiphar's home. We know Potiphar's wife um, has uh, a desire for this young man, and she attempts to have a, uh, an illicit relationship with him, but Joseph, being a God-fearer, rejects her, and because of his rejection of her, she's offended. She tells her husband, her husband has, has Joseph thrown in a prison cell, and while Joseph is in that prison cell, um, he interprets a, uh, two prisoners' dreams who were a butler and a, and a, and a, and a what was it? Baker, here you go. Baker and, and the wine taster for the, for the Pharaoh of Egypt, right? He interprets their dreams, and, and not to get into all the details, eventually Pharaoh has a dream where he, has, he sees seven slim cows eating seven fat cows and seven slim grains of stalks of grain eating, overcoming seven um, healthy stalks of grain. Joseph's able to interpret the dream so that he tells the Pharaoh that God is going to bring a, a seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And all of this worked out so that Joseph could be the number two man in all of Egypt. And then 
his, his father, Jacob, sends his sons to Egypt. I know you guys know the story. I'm just reiterating it really quickly. He sends his sons to Egypt. Um, they're going there to buy grain to bring back to their father. And Joseph recognizes his brothers. Um, they, they have this thing that goes back and forth. Read about it in, in the book of Genesis, right? But eventually Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. He tells them, go bring dad back here to Egypt and all of your family and all of your livestock will let you, will set you up in the land of Goshen. And, and that's what ended up happening. And then in, in Genesis chapter 50, we're told that Joseph's father dies. And it says in verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all of the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive their trespass of the servants of God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and they fell down before his face. And they said to Joseph, behold, we are your servants. We are your slaves. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for I am not in the place of God, but what you meant for evil against me, God meant for good in order to bring it about as it is to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. Listen, these brothers, their dad had died and they didn't recognize it. They didn't recognize that Joseph had already forgiven them and they were expecting righteous retribution. But Jesus, but Joseph, a type of Jesus, did not respond in that way. Instead, he responded in love. He responded in forgiveness. They were afraid because their dad had died and they thought that he was going to off their heads. But, G- but Joseph did not exact the righteous judgment that he could have. But instead, he showed them grace and he showed them mercy. In fact, it grieved Joseph's heart. He wept before them because they did not recognize that he had already forgiven them. And then, of course, we already know the greatest example in the New Testament, in the entire Bible. It's, the, it's Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the Bible tells us that God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners... While we were still a dirty mess in our sins, Christ died for us. And he is the ultimate example to every single believer that we are to forgive others even when they sin against us. In fact, Jesus said this. He says, I have a new commandment for you. This is John chapter 13, that you love one another just as I have loved you and that you also love one another. And by this they will know that you are my disciples because of the love that you have for one another. Are you struggling with that? Is there someone that has hurt you? Maybe it's, it's your husband. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe there's someone that has offended you, that has hurt you so badly that you think it's impossible to ever forgive them, that you think it's impossible to ever love them. And the truth is, it is. It is impossible. It's impossible for us to do it in the flesh. But all things are possible with Christ Jesus. He's given us two commandments. 
Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The law, the Torah, is summed up. Love God and love others. And you know what? The body of Christ isn't held together by our own perfection. The body of Christ is held together by the, by the love and the perfection of Jesus Christ. People who are looking to fervently love one another. Okay, here's my last illustration. You guys ready for this? All right. So there's the story about a, a Spanish father. Him and his son, they become estranged. And the son leaves his father's home and, and he goes off and he does his own thing. And the father is grieved over his son. And for months, he's looking for his son. He's setting out to search and to find his son. He cannot find his son. And out of desperation, he finally puts in a, a newspaper ad in the newspaper. And it reads this, Dear, dear Paco, <laughs> Dear Paco, meet me in front of the, the newspaper office at 12 o'clock noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you. Signed, your father. And that Saturday, in front of the post office, 800 young men wow. named Paco <laughs> showed up in front of that post office, all searching for the love and the forgiveness from their estranged fathers. The world is filled with Pacos who desperately are longing for reconciliation, who are desperately longing for restoration, who are desperately longing for, for God's love and the love that can only come from the body of Christ who are walking with Jesus. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're that Paco. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been offended. Maybe you've been struggling with unforgiveness and you have not been able to fervently love that person who's offended you. And I know you can't do it on your own. Only, you can only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. And maybe you've been that offender. Maybe you've been that person that has been offensive or has offended or has hurt somebody. And you know that person can't love you and that person can't forgive you. Ask God. Ask God to give you the ability to reach out to that person and to offer your condolences, to offer the love of Christ to them and to beg them to please forgive you for those things that you've done. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, that through Christ, all things are possible. And we know, Lord God, that even with the disciples, even among the apostles, there were grievances, there were offenses that took place. But God, you are so good and so kind and so merciful to bring restoration. Even as Peter would say to Jesus right in front of his brothers, even if all of these guys leave you, I will never leave you. God, that must have been offensive to them. They must have been offended. But by your mercy and grace, Lord Jesus, you were able to restore Peter right in front of them by asking him those, that simple question, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
then take care of the little lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I love you. Feed my sheep. Father, we know that you love us. We thank you for the demonstration of your love towards us by sending us your son Jesus to die on the cross while we were yet sinners. You sent your son to die. And we thank you that he resurrected, that he rose from the dead, that he ascended to your right hand. And we look forward, God, to that day when we hear that trumpet call and we meet you in the clouds and we celebrate a wonderful wedding banquet, a wonderful wedding feast for seven years. God, thank you for the resurrecting power that you've given us through your love and through your mercy. We love you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, we worship you, and it's in your precious name that we pray. And all God's people said amen.